The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty Radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. The editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com, and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face is made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and there you're going to see two videos on the top of the page. The one on the left side of the page is Bradley's show from yesterday. So if you missed that and you'd like to catch that, you can do so up until 3 o'clock this afternoon, at which time he'll be live in that area. And that's Eastern Time, by the way. I've got Central Time up there because that's his time zone, and we got Eastern Time because that's my time zone. Uh, the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the Play button, blow it up on whatever device you got. Look for the Rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner. Click on that, and you can join us in the chat over there with uh, like-minded people. Good to see everyone over there, uh, our friends in the chat on Rumble. And while you're there, please subscribe to the channel, Sons of Liberty Radio Live, Sons of Liberty Radio Live on Rumble. And then uh, also we're on Before It's News, top of the page over there. We want to thank Michael Roach and his team for giving us a spot uh, over there as well. Oh, back to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, right up under where we're streaming lives, where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Please do that and help us out. Uh, share some of the, the articles that we've got. Uh, you'll get these in your inbox late afternoon, early evening. And these are all the articles we have for the day for SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, including the Morning Show Archive. So all of the stuff that we talk about, all of the articles, videos, all this other stuff that we reference, scriptures, all of those are listed in there in one nice, neat little package. So if there's something you say, hey, that kind of stood out to me, I'd like to share that with somebody, or you say, I'd like to share the show, or any of these, or all of it, uh, all of it's there for you to do. And by the way, you can download our videos and re-upload them anywhere you want to do, okay? you you The stuff we do is freely you've been given, or freely received, freely give, right? So you can do any of that stuff you want to do. you got a channel and you want to re-upload things, you want to use them on your radio station or anything like that you're more than welcome to do that. Um, so be sure and uh, utilize those things as well. All right. Um, you know, Sunday will be like the, I think it is the um, 12th anniversary, I believe. Actually, no, it's more than that. 
It's like 14 years, 14th anniversary. Of the downing of Extortion 17, that occurred on August the 6th, 2011. I had my math all off there. And um, there were a lot of American SEALs who were killed in that. Uh, there was also some other men. On total, uh, total, there were 38 people aboard that uh, Chinook helicopter that was shot down in Afghanistan. And you know, to this day, I still meet people who don't know what Extortion 17 was. They don't know. Many of them don't even know. Many of them would know what Operation Red Wings was, uh, due mainly to the film that came out, The uh, Soul Survivor. They would know what that is. Um, and even many people don't know what that is. Even though the movie was sort of popular. But Extortion 17... Man, you can run into people all day long who have no idea of what that is. It was the largest loss of life in the Afghan war. Uh, at least 17 Navy SEALs, uh, seven Afghan National Army commandos. We don't even know who they were. That's This is part of the uh, the suspicion about what went on aboard there, uh, that flight that was going into the, the valley there that they cleared out many times. Uh, this valley has been the subject of several movies. I think there was a, a film years ago called Twelve Strong. It was like the post. It was supposed to be the first, you know, guys going into Afghanistan after 9/11. And look, I, I'm under no illusions, so don't don't think that I believe the official government narrative because I don't. Um, I've got sort of mixed thoughts about a lot of it. Nevertheless, we were lied to. They were lied to. They thought they were going in there to retaliate against a foreign entity that attacked us. We're seeing more and more, even you know, decade, decades after that, that all fingers are pointing to the Bush regime. That's where the fingers point, to the Bush regime. And to corporate fascists who were going to make a lot of money if America goes to war. And uh, we even have uh, G General Wesley Clark talking about the countries that would be invaded and how he was surprised that they said, well, we're going into Iraq. And actually, he says, well, what does Iraq have to do with anything? So keep, keep some of that in mind. But I'm just going to remind people about what went on on August 6, 2011. I had the uh, privilege of uh, interviewing and, and meeting uh, Billy and Karen Vaughn on a couple of occasions. Um, we met... Uh, here over in North Kamilana at an event and got to talk with them and hear about their son and, and things of, of that nature. Uh, got to meet them again when we were taking uh, the guy I do some distribution of knives for. Uh, we went to the SHOT Show. We saw them out there at, at the SHOT Show in Vegas. And um, their son, Aaron, was killed aboard Extortion 17. And just his story alone is worth the price of the book that Billy wrote. It was called uh, Betrayed, the shocking true story of Extortion 17, as told by a Navy SEAL's father. And um, it, just, the, just the story of Aaron getting in the SEALs worth the price of the book. It really is. Uh, because God was definitely behind that young man. I mean, he, he had messed up things in his legs 
to where they told him, said, there's no way you'll ever be a SEAL. You, you just can't do it. It's physically impossible. And yet, <laughs> with God, all things are possible, right? And, they, and, and one thing I like about Billy is he does give glory to God for that. Right out of the gate, he gives glory to God for his goodness, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of sorrow and pain. Uh, so that's one, and he tells it from the from the parents' perspective. Uh, Aaron, uh, excuse me, Billy was given, and all of the families of the seals were given uh, some kind of CD, and they and were told that it was given to them by accident. I kind there's a part of me that kind of wonders about that, um, due to the nature of another book that was written by a friend of mine. Don Brown, he's again over just literally about 40 minutes from me over in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, Don wrote the book, Call Sign Extortion 17, The Shootdown of SEAL Team 6. We've had Don on the show many times. And uh, one of the things that that uh, Don you know, did was he took the information that Billy and Karen got and uh, Billy had sent it to me. It was It was a huge file, just a huge file. And he took it and broke it down. It was called the Colt Report. And, of course, the Colt Report, what Don does is he goes through it and he shows you, well, this is true and this is not true. And this is true and this is not true. And there's some fascinating things that go on in this. And the families pushed for a congressional hearing over it. It took them years to get a congressional hearing. And it was led by Jason, Jason Chaffetz. And you want to talk about an appeasing hearing. There was no challenge at all to the buffoonery and the lies. And, and to be honest, many of the people who are answering really didn't have any. They weren't, they weren't a part of it. They're coming in after the fact. They didn't have anything to do with what was going on there. And uh, you couldn't get straight answers from these people about anything. But I thought today, uh, it's a little bit early, but Sunday will be the anniversary of this shootdown. I know a lot of these families, you know, this is a tough time for them because they remember. They remember their, the loved one that they lost. So I'm going to bring back to memory some of these things. Now, two years ago, I did a whole week for Extortion 17, Monday through Friday. And we had different guests on each day. And I'm going to play some a little parts of some of those interviews uh, here this morning. And then I'm going to go back because I wrote extensively on it. I don't know. I've probably written 100 or 150 articles on just on Extortion 17, different aspects of things that came out and family members and things of that nature. But during uh, one of the interviews we did was with a guy by the name of Stephen Spivey. Now, Stephen Spivey had just, in fact, we brought him out on, I think it was on the 6th, uh, we brought him on the air, and Stephen had just completed the documentary, Fallen Angel. It was, it was many years in the making. I think um, Tom down there at the United West uh, was trying to begin it, and he was involved in it too, and Don was involved in it, and you'll see Joni Marquez, who was the captain of the gunship, that watched as Extortion 17 was blown out of the sky and was told they could not retaliate against where they saw the RPG coming because there were so-called friendlies. There might be friendlies in the building. I don't know how you get friendlies who just shot RPGs and killed your friends. I, I don't know how that works. But anyway, 
This is the trailer for Fallen Angel. Uh, this is what Stephen Spivey had produced and had released two years ago on August 6th. Check it out. We understand that a plane has crashed in... claiming credit for the 9-11 attacks. The biggest and most costly manhunt in U.S. history is building to a crescendo. The United States killed Osama bin Laden. Sources say an elite division of the Navy SEAL carried out the operation. There are reports surfacing that Al-Qaeda has placed a 50,000 U.S. dollar bounty on the heads of any U.S. Navy SEALs, dead or alive. Nobody's going to survive that. There's nobody in that. This is the single largest loss of life in Afghanistan in a single incident. Most of them are U.S. Navy SEALs. My job was to protect, and uh, that night, I wasn't able to do that. This flight should have been 10 minutes from wheels up to wheels down, but we lost communication with it. We've had two U.S. Army pilots verify that a black box was installed on Extortion 17. One of the more sensational stories is that the black box was washed away in a flash flood. Was there a black box? No, sir. So without a doubt, that black box was installed. We discovered bullets in the bodies of the Navy SEALs. The military threw them away. More likely than not, that supports a shootout on board. Some of the families were told that the bodies were not identifiable. That is absolutely not the case. And in fact, their sons were cremated. I called the command. I said, why'd you cremate my son? My son didn't want to be cremated. Every American should be taught about what happened in Extortion 17. The families want to know the why. We owe that to them. The tragedy is the caliber of men that were lost. What we do know is that it is clear that someone wanted the truth out. Anybody out there, we have a fallen angel, a fallen angel. Roger. All right, so that is the uh, the film. You can find that. I think it's Salem Now is the ones that carried it. Do yourself a favor. Yeah, scene. If we you, excuse can... me. If you um, happen to go and check it out, I would recommend getting the DVD. I got the video on demand, which I can still watch, but you have to be at a computer or something, or you have to be able to, I guess, cast it to your, your television or something. But I highly recommend watching it if you want a real good overview of what it is. A lot of the people that you saw there. We're going to play a couple of these guys here. But Stephen joined us uh, back in November. I'm going to pull this down here because it has all the scrolling because I'm going to be repeating things here. Stephen joined us back in uh, August 6th, and that was, I think, 2021. This was during the convids, and uh, there was some sad news about Stephen that just literally two or three months after this interview, he went to the hospital. Now, he's again, he was just across the line here in North Kamilana, and uh, Stephen went to the hospital with quote unquote COVID like symptoms, and they gave him remdesivir and it killed him. Um, yeah, I'll let you make up your own mind if you think that's something that was conspired or whether they were just doing it to everybody, which they were. But this was a little bit of the interview. 
that Stephen and I did, and I'll let him kind of lay out the basis for why he put this documentary together. It is. Good morning, Tim. I uh, appreciate you having me. I've been excited. We've been talking for a while now, and uh, so I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's it's really great to have you on. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to this. I mean, people are getting, what, two, two minutes and 25 seconds worth of a trailer here. And you guys have just released this on the day that we're pre-recording here, the third. And <clears throat> people can go to, just want to let people know, they can go to fallenangel.film and they can click on to where they can watch the trailer or they can click on to where they can watch the film. Now, they can buy it or they can rent it. You have that set up as well. And how how long how long did it take you guys to put this together here, Stephen? <laughs> well, you know, it really goes back to ten years ago. Um, the parents, uh, the Gold Star families, they had a lot of questions, and uh, they weren't getting a lot of answers. So they they really took the reins and just pressed forward, and uh, and just really went into it with a, a heart of a lion as they tackled our government and uh, demanded answers. So it started there uh, through their courage. And as time went on, um, I was contacted by producers Keith Walker and Renee McCullough, and they said, we have something really interesting. And they, they shared um, Extortion 1-7, and of course I had heard of it um, because I served in the military, so I was always in tune with things that were going on with our military. So um, they shared with me what was going on, um, I initially, as I um, just kind of researched, decided that I was not going to do it. I just come off, came off filming a, a film about street kids, and um, it, it was really taxing. And I knew this <laughs> was going to be even more so. So I initially turned them down. I just said, hey, I, I, I can't do it, um, but uh, I'll be praying for you. And about a year later, they came to me again and uh, encouraged me to, to go in and read the books uh, by the Vaughn family and also by Don Brown. And so I did. And, and once I did, Tim, um, really my heart was um, just torn. It was uh, it was hurting for these families. Um, just being a Gold Star family uh, member is just excruciating. And what I saw through this, through the Vaughns especially, was they not just survived the death of their son, but they thrived. And they were going and they were speaking in front of people and they, they were doing something different. And as I, as I came to know them, I realized that they had a strong faith. And although they, they mourned, as we all do when we lose somebody, they mourned, but they mourned with hope. And so that really encouraged me. And I, I came on board. And from 2017 up until just this past week, uh, we have been working really hard on getting this film out there. Okay. All right. So that's Stephen Spivey. He's kind of laying that out. I'll have the full interview up. So if you want to check it out, because he talks about different aspects of this and working with the people um, that he was he was dealing with uh, in the making of the film. So you see, it took quite a it took quite a while to get it out, and it wasn't because somebody was trying to stop it and this that, and it was just there was a lot of stuff to put together. And then obviously, you want somebody who's going to try to be as truthful and honest because. The film is not like Sound of Freedom. It's not, quote-unquote, based on a true story. It is a true story. All of the stuff, you'll see the footage. Uh, some of you saw it, if you were watching on the video platforms, you saw it just now in the trailer. You see actual footage from the cameras. 
Now, they do have some reenactors, but they're reenacting exactly what took place. They're not basing it on a true story and loosely you know, playing with it. And then you have the people like Joni, who was actually there, giving her story as to what went on. And we're going to play some of that in just a little bit. But you, you've got all that in that film that recounts all this. Now, there are several things that go on here. One of the things is, and this came from my first interview with uh, Billy Vaughn. Again, he's the father of Navy SEAL Aaron Vaughn. And if you'll remember, there was a big brouhaha over these guys, their bodies coming back to America. Their bodies were brought back with Afghanis. And there was some question as to whether or not they were draping American flags over Afghani coffins and Afghan, uh, Afghanistan flags over Americans. There was also video footage that came out in which they had a Muslim cleric come in in Afghanistan and basically condemn the seals to hell. Yep. Some of the families were going to sue over that. All of that was going on. And then some of these seals, they cremated. There was no need for cremation. In fact, it was Charles Strange that you heard on there. His son had been uh, cremated. He had gotten photos of him. He says there was no need to cremate him. And they cremated me. I'm telling you, they were hiding evidence. Why? Don Brown found out. He got to look at, I think, three different autopsies. And of those, of some of those seals, and they had bullets in their body. Now, why is that important? Well, we'll get to that in just a little bit, okay? Uh, if you don't know the story, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But what, um, what Billy Vaughn had reminded me of was how the Obama administration at the time, the great usurper-in-chief, that's what I call him, because he was never uh, legitimately under our Constitution, supposed to be in the White House. He's not a natural-born citizen. I heard, I hear all kinds of people who want to make this argument about the one-parent thing, and they want to go to this Supreme Court, Von Wark, or whatever his name was, to say he's a citizen. Yes, not a natural-born. And it's as simple as pie to figure out. All you got to do is go back and read Battelle's Law of Nations, which, by the way, the framers of the Constitution had three copies of that in there. Vitell is the only guy I know that defines what a natural-born subject is and a natural-born citizen. And when he and they knew it. They knew what it meant. It wasn't like you got to figure out what it is. Sorry, Trey Gowdy doesn't know what he's talking about down here in South Carolina. He told my friend Evan uh, Mulch that, well, we don't know what a natural-born citizen is. Yes, we do. It was written in a book. <laughs> of which they had three copies that Ben Franklin confirms they had. They were gifts given to them. And he says, you got to have both parents. Both of them have to be citizens. Their allegiance needs to be there. But definitely the father. It doesn't matter where the kid's really born as long as the parents are citizens. And by the way, not all of us are immigrants. I didn't immigrate to the United States. I am a native to the United States. Those who came before me immigrated here. And for many of you, you didn't immigrate here either. You're native here. You're not an immigrant. You're really not. 
So we can't say we're all a nation of immigrants. No, we're not. Maybe our families were way back, but we're not. One of the things that uh, Billy told me was that Vice President Joe Biden then committed a breach of national security. This is his words. It's going to be pretty uh, pretty high goal because they wanted to have Congress involved in bringing some sort of accountability here in the situation. He says it's going to be a pretty high goal, but Vice President Joe Biden committed a breach of national security when he outed the SEALs, and we want to see him held accountable, and if need be, we want to see him punished. See, Joe Biden's already shown he's a traitor. He didn't just forget or misspeak here. He just outed the seals. And then it wasn't just Joe Biden, by the way. The reason that they were in the predicament they were in was because of the number of missions they were running. There are several things to keep in mind. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on here. But what Billy was telling me was they normally would run so many operations a month. I, if, I, if I recall correctly, I'm not seeing it here in, in, my, in the article I did, but I'm wanting to say, okay, he, the, he, he said they did about 30 missions that would be you know, kind of maxed out for them to do a month, these SEALs. And they were supposed to do it on a special helicopter that had been developed for SEALs. It was faster and everything than these Chinook helicopters, which were Vietnam-era helicopters. And there were, I think, he's, I think he said about 30 missions a month. I, I think that's what he said. And he said they started bumping them. Oh, here it is. He said, um, in 2009, they were conducting 56 special operation missions per month in Afghanistan. These, these were the, the special forces there. By 2010, just a year later, the number of special operations being conducted jumped to more than triple to 186 missions per month. From August 2010 until July 2011, a month before Extortion 17 was shot down, the average of special forces missions being conducted in Afghanistan skyrocketed to an average of 335 missions. Now, you go from 56 missions a month to 335 missions a month. You're doing it on Vietnam-era equipment. You don't think you're going to have some problems here? Then you're dealing with Afghans who you're trying to bring them along to teach them how to care for themselves and protect themselves, and they're a burden to you. The SEALs always talked about how the Afghanis were just a burden. Laziness. You didn't know whether to trust them. We had a lot of green-on-blue attacks. That's what they were called, where they would train the Afghanis, and the Afghanis would turn their weapons on the guys who were training them, whether they were British soldiers or whether they were Americans or whoever. They had a lot of that stuff. This is what the Obama administration was doing. And they tied their hands behind their back with rules of engagement. This was one of the big things that um, uh, Billy Vaughn was pointing out was he said, our boys can't fight. They can't shoot unless they've been shot at. They can't you know, go and, and, and do the things they need to do to secure the area uh, you know, without all, going through all, jumping all th through all these hoops. And he says, literally, they're out there as sitting ducks, walking around, for years, being picked off one by one.
So he was very adamant about that, and he's very adamant that Joe Biden should be brought to justice because he mentioned that the SEALs, right out in the open, not in a secure area or anything like that, out in the open, the SEALs are the one who allegedly took out Osama bin Laden, which, look, you don't have to talk to me about it. I already know about Al-Qaeda. I already know about Tim Osborne. Uh, anybody can go look that up. Tim Osborne, uh, bin Laden, the whole nine yards, CIA, all that. I get it. Nevertheless, the narrative was painted, and these guys had done it. And I asked Don Brown, I said, how do you know you got the guy? Didn't they say they got this guy several times and all this other? And, of course, we have uh, the guy who is supposed to be the um, Tom Clancy f uh, figure, uh, Jack Ryan, uh, Steve Pajanik. I, I guess you can trust him as far, as far as you can throw him. I don't know, but uh, he mentioned that... Um, he believed that uh, the guy known as Osama bin Laden was probably dead before 9-11, that he had seen him a couple of months prior in a hospital, and he was just on his last leg with his kidney issue. Nevertheless, Don said that they verified DNA. Well, our government lies to us about, about things all the time. They're trying to convince us now that there's invaders from space who are coming in. That's what they're trying to convince us of now, right? Instead of their uh, pseudoscience that they're doing. But it wasn't just Joe Biden who gave him up. Uh, there was Leon Panetta. And if you, if you don't recall, in June, uh, June 24th, 2011, just two months before the shootdown, he had also broken national security. And he outed the SEALs then, specifically targeting the, the team that they were. And as soon as all this happened, Billy said, Aaron came home, so did the other guys, and they said, wipe your social media accounts, keep quiet, we got a target on our back. They knew they had been given up by their own government. These SEALs knew it. They had been given up by their own government. And it wouldn't be it wouldn't be long. It'd be another year, and the same government would give those guys up in Benghazi. Same people: Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Leon Panetta, all of them. They're traitors to their people. And what was that Cicero said? He says the nation can survive its fools. It can't survive the traitors. Those on the inside. interesting because treason is really what they went after Jesus for. Luke chapter 23, and the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And I want you to watch this. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Yep, you got it. You got it, Pilate. And even Pilate, though. <laughs> I mean, you got to give him at least some credit here. P 
Pilate, then said Pilate to the chief priests and the people, I find no fault in this man. Okay, he's your king. So? He keeps trying to wash his hands of the whole thing. But they accused him of treason. He wasn't a traitor. But Barack Hussein Obama Satoris Barker was. Joe Biden was. Still is. So is Obama. So is Leon Panetta. In fact, I was trying to bring up a lot of different things this morning. And I could bring you up a video of a hearing that took place uh, about the invasion of Libya. Again, unconstitutional. The overthrow of Muammar Gaddafi. And we all know what that was about. It's about trying to push central banking. Same thing going on was, was taking place over there in Syria as well. And when do-nothing Jeff Sessions was in charge of the committee to hear Panetta, he said, wait a minute, doesn't our Constitution say that you have to, before you go into war and this, that, and the other, don't you have to come to Congress and have Congress make a declaration of war? I wish you'd remember that when Afghanistan, Iraq, and all this other stuff, and all these other wars were going on. I wish he'd remember that for himself. And Leon Panetta said, well, we have an international consensus. Do you hear what they're doing? They're not going to follow the law. They don't want to follow the law. They're pushing an agenda. And these men cost the lives of these Americans. They cost the lives of these Americans. Not just the 17 Navy SEALs, but there were a couple of guardsmen on board the helicopter, and I think there, were, there might have been, I can't remember the other guys who were on there, but they lost their lives other than the Afghanis. This was um, actually from a quote from Joe Biden when he gave the seals up. At a gathering at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Washington, D.C. for the 50th anniversary of the Atlantic Council, a mere two days after the raid, the one that alleged to take out Osama bin Laden, Vice President Joe Biden remarked to the audience, Let me briefly acknowledge tonight's distinguished honorees, Admiral Jim Stavridis, is the real deal. He could tell you more about and understands the incredible, the phenomenal, the just, almost unbelievable, this sounds like Trump here, <laughs> capacity of his Navy SEALs and what they did last Sunday. And what was even more extraordinary was, and I'm sure former administration officials will appreciate this more than anyone, there was such an absolute overwhelming desire to accomplish this mission that although for over several months we were in the process of planning it, and there were as many as 16 members of Congress who were briefed on it. Not a single solitary thing leaked. Until now. Big mouth. I find it absolutely amazing. Well, I find it amazing too, but I don't think Biden was leaking something accidentally. I think he's doing it purposely. I think there was a tit for tat there um, with uh, what was going on with the, the supposed death of Osama bin Laden and then what happened here with the Navy SEALs. I mentioned Billy and Karen Vaughn. This was an interview they did on Hannity, uh, or a portion of it. I'm going to let them speak to this. These are these are This is the mom and dad of Aaron Vaughn. Boy, the young man killed on uh, Extortion 17. Listen to what they have to say. As you watch that, as you watch the Benghazi cover-up, um, and your son knowing that you were all at risk, I can't imagine how you feel. I mean, uh, there's nothing worse for a parent than losing their child. 
Sean, it's, it's all the same. The Benghazi cover-up, what's going on in the Middle East, what's going on in Afghanistan, is all because of this president's ideology and the strategy being used by our military and our president is directly responsible for the rules of engagement. Let me just say this. On the night that Extortion 17 was shot down, this is all from the military. We learned that the Afghan National Army, the Afghan National Police, and the Afghan uh, Security Ministry are all involved in every single uh, special ops mission. It okay, did you hear that? If you weren't aware of it, this was like one of the things that just blew my mind. The Afghans had the green light and the red light for our special forces guys. In other words, they were controlling them. They were overseeing the mission. The Afghanis were. I'm not saying the Americans were involved in it. The Afghanis were overseeing it. Why? It was their country. And we just needed to respect their country. Now, frankly, if the truth of the matter had come out, we would never be in Afghanistan, probably. Yet, we're over there. These boys are fighting under the false pretense that these guys are the, are the bad guys here. And I got to tell you, what do you expect? If, if, if Afghanis came here, if the Saudis came here and they started doing what we're doing in those countries, we would fight back against them. We'd be called terrorists by you know their media or whatever. And I'm sure there are terrorists there, real Islamic terrorists. I'm sure that's the case. There's no doubt in my mind of that. But again, they go in there. And Billy says the Afghanis are running the show for our special forces. In the pre-planning, the post-op, they know the flight routes of the choppers. That chopper flew in there that night in a place that had already been cleared seven times, according to our military, by our warriors and turned back over to the Afghans. A three and a half hour firefight underway and our chopper flew in with an AC-130 gunship in the air, two AH-64s and they were not allowed to give any pre-assault fire. Right. They landed the chopper like it was landing at Walmart, even though a firefight was underway. When the chopper was shot down, neither were the AC-130 or the two AH-64s allowed to take out the, the savages who fired the RPGs because they were standing on a tower, and under the rules of engagement, they didn't know if there might be friendlies in the building. These rules yeah. of engagement are criminal for our warriors. I and Sean, if I can just that. add something, yeah, go ahead. Last if I word. can add something to that as well, um, we mm -hmm. also found out in the testimony of one of the commanders in the field that he actually said something like this was bound to eventually That's happen. Uh, exactly the way right. we're operating. I, I saw that. That's and exactly right. last question, and I'm running out of time. But do you want President Obama to stop spiking the football on Obama on the campaign on Bin Laden on the campaign trail? We well, he doesn't have the character to quit because everything is about President Obama. Always about you. But yes, we want him to quit spiking the football, and we want him to leave as Commander in Chief. We want the rules of engagement changed, and we All want right. some high up military officer to have the all courage right. and risk all and scream out what is happening to our warriors. Somebody, please have the courage to protect our warriors instead of protecting well, this commander-in-chief and his cronies. Mr. and Mrs. Vaughn, um, nothing worse than losing a hero, a son. Thank you uh, for telling your story and being with us. You're in our thoughts and prayers. So that's, uh, that's Billy and Karen Vaughn, and he's, he's called it out. He, he really has called it out. 
Now, it's not just him. This is uh, Charles uh, Charles Strange. Um, his son was also killed aboard uh, Extortion 17. And um, listen to what he has to say. This is a short little clip as well. Listen to what he has to say about what happened with his son. Hello, everyone. My name is Charles Strange. My, my, my son's name was Michael Strange. Michael was a cryptologist for special ops. He was uh, part of uh, the Navy SEALs for SEAL Team 2 for a few years, and uh, last uh, almost four years he was part of SEAL Team 6. Um, Michael uh, was a brave American. He loved Philadelphia, where we're from, and uh, he fought for this country. And uh, Michael being a crypto, uh, the code for them is uh, serving silence. And uh, that silence was broken by our administration. And uh, all of a sudden there's movies, SEAL Team 6, documentaries, SEAL Team 6, SEAL Team 6, this, this, this. Where did it all start? Joe Biden in Delaware in a tuxedo with a half a load on telling everybody it was the elite Navy SEAL team. And this is our vice president? Come on, man. You know? You kind of wonder where Joe got that. Is he mocking him with his come on, man thing? Uh, that's that's another father uh, who is involved. This next little this next clip, and I may this may be get this may get a little lengthy because this is the lady who was aboard that gunship that, that Billy mentioned just a minute ago that watched the helicopter be hit with an RPG. By the way, we're going to get into some. I'm going to try to get cram it in here a little bit as far as um, <clears throat> what took place as as far as their communications and them being in uh, the place that they were at for a long time without communication as they were heading toward the drop zone. This is, uh, this is Joni, Captain Joni Marquez, and um, listen to what she has to say here. Off at what, 2.22, something like that. I forget Oops. the specific time. I think that's it. And the a.m., uh, the local time there. And so what time would you normally get up, and what were you doing to get to that, that point? In other words, okay, you're going to get up and you, you're going to have dinner or whatever you're going to call that at that time of day. You're going to have right. that. And then you you may go and work out or whatever, and you're doing these things, and you're getting ready to go on. But from what I understand, this is called very quickly to send the um, the SEALs in on Extortion 16 and 17. You're going to send them in, and it's kind of a quick thing. I forget what, uh, what he called it, QRF or something like that. So, right. so what are you doing? And all of a sudden, are you called and said, hey, we need you to run security for these guys over here. Can you kind of lead us up to what brings that? And then let's go into to what happened that night. Sure. So that particular day, I'd gone to the gym. Um, so you wake up around 4 p.m. <laughs> Everything's in Zulu. So from what I can remember, um, you know, and then you go shower, go get food and then go to your op center. And so we had already been given a mission that night and we had already briefed it with the crew. And then all of a sudden our pagers lit up and um, cause that's how we operate over there. Very uh, antiquated, but um, the pager system let us know that there was actually a mission that took precedence. So we ended up just um, grabbing the uh, imagery as soon as we got notified and 
we're kind of briefing it in the bread truck, which is just this little white vehicle that takes us from point A to B. Um, and when we got on the ramp, we were just all running, grabbing our gear, and you just kind of plan en route. And so um, we were just told that we needed to be overhead because Rangers had already been infilled and they were coming on or they were getting ready to come on to target. So, um, you know, I appreciate um, the director, um, Stephen Spivey, Spivey, sorry, I might have forgot how to say that, but um, he is great in, in how he, you know, relayed all the information. I wish the air perspective would have been shared a little bit more from my part, but I understand in how, you know, you have to kind of cut things out in order to try to show everything that you're thinking about for a documentary. But um, yeah, we ended up taking off and we had to hold 10 miles south of um, where the Rangers were actually at. And, you know, with an AC-130, you can hear us coming um, from miles away. And so the jig is up at that point. And the, you know, Taliban, all the people over in Afghanistan knew what an AC-130 sounded like. So um, we just had to hold our position 10 miles south until, um, you know, the Rangers wanted us to come overhead. Okay. All right. Now give people a, a sort of an idea when you've got, you've got two of these special ops helicopters that are flying in, they have some gunships with them, some Apaches, I believe it is that, that are with them. And then you guys are flying. How, how high are you guys flying up uh, when you come in over there? We're flying high. <laughs> you flying high? Okay. Um, high enough, right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, enough to make an impact, obviously. And okay. um, yeah, the Apaches were overhead, obviously providing the closer support for the Rangers that night. And um, when the Rangers were getting closer to the objective, that's when the six um, military age males started um, exchanging gunfire with the Rangers or they started shooting at the Rangers. And so that was depicted obviously in the, um, the film. Um, we weren't able to see all that going on. We just heard it. And um, by the time they started getting hit by the um, six military-age males, that's when the Apaches were cleared to engage. The Apaches came over, um, took them all out, and then we were allowed to come overhead at that point. So everything was um, basically called cold. And then the IR sensor, um, he was looking out to see what was going on as far as the, the bodies were concerned, because I wanted to make sure no one was playing possum. And I was going to light them up again or have our crew light them up. But um, the problem was, is that there were two that started crawling off. And so at that point, when we had asked the JTAC or the Joint Terminal Attack Controller um, on the ground to say, hey, man, can we, you know, engage these two that are crawling off? Um, he had to reach back to somebody else at the Joint Operations Center because, you know, there's a lot of hands in the pot. And um, unfortunately, that person who was a ground um ground guy he ended up basically saying no you know the ground commander was like just watch watch to see what goes on and you know report back type thing so we were denied um and obviously as you know rules of engagement over there um i'm, I'm sure people have brought it up yep. it was brought up in the film a lot um it basically tied our hands it made us almost like have you know fog war or helmet fire for no reason at all i mean you get caught up in all the do's and don'ts and you're just like why don't we just take these people out right now? They're a threat, you know, or can come back as a threat. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the powers that be, the hearts and minds campaign and all that stuff that 
Obama and Biden had put into place definitely had um, a control over us. And so we just had to, you know, watch and wait as the two crawled away and then they stood up and then they started running and then they started bounding and, you know, knocking on people's doors. And this was like miles away from the objective area. So the Rangers were no longer, you know, in harm's way when it came to to those two that crawled off from the objective area. So um, we just had to maintain that and make sure that they weren't going to come back and try to cause any harm to them. Okay. But what you found out, they're knocking on doors and they're accumulating more guys. Is that right? What happened after that? Well, it was um, two men that ended up gaining a force of 12. And so um, by that point in time, though, I think they were already a couple miles away um, from the objective area. And so with that, you know, we're reporting back to the Joint Operations Center and saying, hey, you know, this is an interesting um, grouping of people, but, you know, we don't know what's going on. Obviously, they're planning something. And um, at that point in time, there was a lot of other things that happened, moving parts that weren't shown um, in the film either. But Um, we had to basically come overhead for the Apaches at some point because they had to go refuel. And so when we came overhead, that's when we had to hand off to another ISR platform, the 12 guys. So the ISR platform was watching the 12. We came overhead and we were watching the Rangers. And then when we swapped back out, the ISR platform that was watching the 12 said, hey, we got a lost chain of custody. And so we're just like, are you kidding me? And so from there, the platform I was on, the AC-130, we were trying to look for the 12, and there was movement over in this one little um, area that had some huts and some vehicles, and so we figured that that's where they had, like, relocated to. We uh, found the coordinates. We saw some people walking around with long cylindrical objects, which we couldn't name as RPGs because, obviously, we're up in the air, and we don't have that PID ability from um, the thousands of feet that we're at. So from that point on, we were just watching and waiting and like basically saying hey this is a follow-on mission at best for next time um don't know what's going on these guys aren't like getting in the vehicles and driving towards the rangers there's nothing happened in regards to that so we don't have to worry about that piece um and because at that point in time that's when the rangers were essentially calling for an exfil so it just so happened that everything was aligning um and unfortunately that's when the quick reaction force ended up being um generated and so um we tried to call it off because as i said in the film you know the imagery that we had from that location of the tangy river valley it was just lit up in red meaning like the small arms fire you don't want to send anybody in there no low and slows no nothing like that and um that's exactly what ended up happening and as far as extortion one seven being shot down i mean totally predictable in that sense you know that that area was not meant for that kind of aircraft Okay, so you're saying that when you're seeing all this, see, the impression that I'm getting, and I'm, I'm glad that we've, we've got you on to give a little more of this issue about the, the air support that is offered. The understanding, the way that I would read anything, is you guys are doing this while they're in the air. And you're saying that once you saw all this stuff that was going on, once you saw what was happening there, you guys were calling in saying, you, you don't need to send these guys in because it's really not safe for them to come in. Am I understanding that correctly? Right. No one had, I mean, when I say that the QRF had been generated, they're still on the ground at um, Shank. So the forward operating base is still where they're located. And that's where like, nope, call it off, not safe, not okay. And um, that's, you know, we, we tried our hardest. And then that's when we started getting push products from the Joint Operations Center and saying, no, hey, this is where we already have some 
helicopter landing zones um, pre-can for you guys to check out, see if these are good spots still. And I'm like, how do they know these HLZs are? Like somebody had already done like the work for this. And it just kind of, that right there didn't give me a warm fuzzy. That made me feel like someone's pushing this mission. This has been something maybe that has been in the works for a bit because something didn't feel right. Okay. All right. And so here's the thing. I do think it, it was pushed. I, this is my own opinion. And when we talked with Don Brown, one of the bombshells that we talked about last night, which I, excuse me, it's last night for where we're recording two nights ago for the other. And he shared with me this lady, uh, Crystal Wall, uh, who is also in the film and where she was saying, you know, she had been in the Navy for three years and they're telling her to prepare for this mass casualty thing. So they're doing this for days on end leading right up to this time. And he says, the only time you have mass casualties in the Navy is like if a ship sinks or something like that. And he says, we haven't had any of any kind of thing like that. So they're doing this leading up. You're talking about, it sounds like they're pushing an, a, I don't want to say an agenda. That's not the right word, but somebody's wanting this mission. They're wanting these guys to be take, they're wanting these guys to fly down there in this uh, Tangy River Valley, which by the way, uh, the history shows not only was that one of the first places that we sent our forces in to clear out, but we did it several times. I don't know how many, eight or nine times up until this time uh, that it had to keep being cleared out. And I'm assuming some of that has to do with rules of engagement. I'll let you comment on that if you can. But okay, so there's a difference in how my perspective is that all this is going on while they're flying in. They're still on the ground. You guys are up, you know, nearing that area, but you're you're dealing with somebody in another area. Am I understanding that correct? Well, the Joint Operations Center is in Bagram, and okay. so that's where, you know, we're normally, like, talking to those folks back there. So, um, yeah, as far as what we were being pushed and told to do, I mean, you know, they weren't listening to us, and they weren't taking our advice. We didn't have um, – we had contact with uh, Extortion 17 with the JTAC on the aircraft before they took off. Um, we didn't have eyes on them when they took off to then when they got shot down. Well, I take that back. We had – eyes on them, meaning the pilot saw um, maybe their rotors, and then right before they got shot, um, he, he saw all that. I, we didn't have eyes on as far as like the IR or any of the sensors. So um, and, until they started coming in more. So we didn't we didn't watch from them taking off at the forward operating base until they got shot down. We didn't have all that. Okay. All right. So I'm going to carry over just a little bit. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, BeforeIt'sNews.com. And the reason I'm replaying Joni, Joni was there. She was there. She saw it all. She saw what was happening. So she has a unique perspective other than the guys who are just looking at documents. So we'll continue this over there. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, BeforeIt'sNews.com, or Rumble. Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Bradley be with you at 3. Lord willing, I'm going to see you at 8 a.m. in the morning. Kate Shimarani. See ya. All right, I want to welcome everybody coming over from the radio, and I'm going to continue this a little bit more, make a few more points, and then we're going to close out the show. But I do believe this is something that still needs to be front and center because you have a betrayal, not only of the lies that were told under the Bush administration to get these guys over there, all right, but then... Once you've got them over there, you don't let them fight. You tie their hands. You make them sitting ducks. Now, look, I understand God is sovereign in all of these things. I, I, I get it. I get it. But the fact of the matter is, is this is what's going on here. And, uh, and Joni is just telling you from her perspective what she saw, 
what was going through her mind when she's seeing all this. And I just want to keep this going just a little bit further and then make a couple of more comments, just make a couple more points. And for those of you unfamiliar with Extortion 17, get the information and start, you know, again, calling for something. Be I mean, I think the only thing they've had was that little clip that you saw a little while ago in the Fallen Angel of Jafe and Chaffetz asking about the black box. Which, by the way, let me just say this, and then I'll. this will be one of the points I was going to make later. But the black box that you heard the guy from the Defense Department say there wasn't a black box on board. Well, we know there was. In fact, they got a hold of the guy who actually flew the Chinook from, I think it was down in Florida, over to Afghanistan. And... He's like, of course it had a black box. It was installed before I took it over there. It had a black box. Now, we can find black boxes in hundreds of feet of water, but we can't find it in a creek. It's washed away in a storm. You've got to be kidding me. Now, they know exactly where it is. And some of the, some of the uh, thoughts is, is that there was a team of somebody who came in and this is where possibly the bullets came from in the SEALs' bodies that they found, was that there was a team that came in after the crash. They came in to retrieve that black box and get it out of there before the, the Rangers came in and checked out you know, the damage that had been done and seen what had, what had taken place there. But uh, back to Joni. Right, that's, kind of, that's kind of what I was wanting to clear up. Okay, so do you see them at any time... Do you pick them up any time before they're shot down, or do you catch it right as they're they're being shot down? Um, the IR, I believe, had eyes on for a bit, but you know we were concerned about like trying to find any kind of weird, strange movement um, or, on their path, and so we had already picked out an HLZ. We're going to get ready to sparkle. Um, I remember them asking for a sparkle um, earlier. And usually that's a one minute out call. Um, but unfortunately, you know, where they were, it was um, it was just something that wasn't going to happen at the end of the day. So yeah. now what do you do when they ask for a sparkle? Because there's two different things that I think Don said they could do. There's a sparkle, but there's uh there's something else that's a that's a really big thing. And the sparkle's not that. What do you do when they request a sparkle? Um, usually that's just laying down, um, something for, you know, their, uh, their night vision to see. So, um, I, I don't want to go into too many okay, details. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. I, I'm not trying to give any, any secrets yeah, away here no, or something, but it, it's not, okay. But it's something very subtle compared to something that's, that's very, uh, open, I guess, is the other one that they'll ask for. Right. Okay. Right. All right. Okay. So you're, you're requested to do that. Now, do you, do you guys get to do that before they are, they're shot down or is that something that, that goes un, undone? As far as those details go, um, those are a little bit, you know, um, they slipped my mind, um, just because I just recall the pilot saying, I think they got hit. And from that point on, um, everything just kind of slows down, you know, um, for right. me. Okay. All right. Now let me ask you this. Um, Don says that there was a civilian aircraft, uh, that was labeled classified that somehow was taking over lookout from you guys or something like that 
and then you guys got back in after that aircraft. Do you remember that? And can you tell us a bit, is that the normal thing? Is that an abnormal thing or anything like that? I mean, for me, when I'm overhead, anything, I just try to stick to my comms with the guys on the ground and um, the guys in the back. So that would be more like the navigator and pilot questions. Um, the air players were made aware of, but you know, you got CIA and all those guys flying around. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a mixed bag of people having their hands in it. So I am not one to say who was there that night and who wasn't there because we didn't have really any feed other than our own. And, uh, that's all that I can speak to on that, that piece. Okay. All right. Now, but when you got on, when you guys got back, um, well, let, let, before we get, before you get back, what's the thing, there's, there's some things that you, you talked about seeing and you saw some of the guys, uh, who had obviously been thrown away from the, the helicopter in the crash. And, um, you're recognizing there's some heat signatures. When I, when I spoke with Don, he said he knows, even though it's not in the film, he knows that one of the Ranger medics came and he actually held one of the guys in his arms. He was still alive and he it was almost as if he was trying to hang on till somebody got there and they died mm-hmm. in his arms. So we know that not everybody was killed on impact and stuff. What 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 is it that you guys pick up that led led you to believe there's there's people on the ground, there's still there's some still alive, and you're having to watch in that moment nobody being able to help what what goes on in that what what goes on in those minutes that that takes place i mean it's just complete helplessness you know like you just feel like you can't do anything and that's why you're there is to do everything essentially i mean other than like you can't like obviously jump out of the aircraft and provide like you know first aid yourself but um it almost makes you feel like that you're like fuck where's my parachute you know like i I really need to like (laughs) get down there and um that's the unfortunate side of, you know, just being overhead is that sometimes you have to just watch it all happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know that's a, that's a hard thing. I, I'm sure that you have some of the things that, that many in our military service, when you, when you want to try to talk to them about things, it's, it's very difficult because you can somehow get sucked back into the moment and everything comes back out. So I, I'm not trying to press that, that issue too no, much on you. But but I I want people to understand the position that that people like you were put in because of bad rules of engagement, because of a bad call or because somebody actually wanted these guys dead, which we know many of these guys after Joe Biden opened his pie hole and after uh, Leon Panetta opened his uh, in settings to out them, they were going to family members saying we're getting our affairs in order. They weren't, they weren't cowards. They didn't shrink back from what they were doing. They just knew there was, it was, it became even more serious and told their families, you need to, you know, clear off your social media and do all these kinds of things. So they knew it was a serious deal. Did you have any idea that it was as serious as it was? I mean, you're there a month. Um, Have you worked with any of these guys that you were going to be looking over in the past? Um, I worked with Harvell, uh, briefly, uh, we were at the operation jaded thunder in Las Vegas prior to both of us deploying. So, um, I didn't really know him that well, we just worked side by side and, uh, you know, in a professional capacity, um, just in briefing rooms and then like, obviously him being on the ground and us in the air. So he was the only one that I ever knew or worked with. 
Okay. All right. No, I was just kind of curious as camaraderie, and of course it's Air Force and, and Navy, so I don't know how those guys actually work together. I know sometimes there's sort of the brotherly infighting and stuff like that that goes on, but uh, I'm just kind of curious as to how much you work with them. Okay, so these guys are shot down. You guys are there. There's this help, helpless feeling. How long are you guys up in the air approximately continuing to circle the area are you up there for hours kind of providing cover for the the ground forces that are coming in the rangers that are coming in yes that's correct okay it was turned into a combat search and rescue after that so okay it was actually the navigator on the uc-130 who made the fallen angel call and from there everything obviously um spiraled okay now how, how long are you in the air after after they went down i mean do you guys are you up there all night are you up there you have to refuel or something and, and you're still doing your thing there. Uh, what's going on? Well, we can stay up there for a very long time. <laughs> okay. but, um, um, we had to stay up there for a few hours and then we had another AC-130 takeover operations for us. So. Okay. And they ran the, they ran this, this sort of search and rescue deal for, uh, well, I guess it wouldn't be can search and rescue after several hours after they understood what had taken place, but then there's some retrieval, uh, uh, issues or something like that that takes place for a couple of days are is is your unit or or people who come behind you and fill in are they still providing cover while they're doing all of that i believe so um we had to be grounded so after okay. that everything was kind of you know we didn't get to do our job that that, that being the ac-130 crew that was overhead that night so we had to um basically go to our room and uh we were just sequestered for a while just to you know wait for the investigative team and from there we basically had our days planned for us and the times that we would be interviewed and um we weren't allowed to fly for i think it was almost a week and then so we were grounded when all this stuff was happening because they wanted to make sure that we weren't the cause for the um shoot down or that we didn't mess up so okay. that was a really good feeling as well okay all right now listen uh both don and um uh, mr spivey have said that you're a very brave woman for coming forward. I covered your story, by the way, uh, a few years back. That was the first time I read your name when uh, you had the interview with Sarah Carter for Circa. And mm-hmm. uh, and that was that was like uh, a bombshell at the time because here we have somebody coming out and speaking out on that. Both of these guys, you know, I've known Don for years now. And uh, Steve, I've only met here recently, probably in the past several months. And uh, they say you're a brave, very brave woman for coming out and speaking on this uh, issue, and Don says that uh, you've got a you've got a situation where, you know, you're you're coming off that plane that night, and you guys are being told don't talk about this to anybody. Is is that true? Can you tell Can you tell us kind of what went on in that? Yeah, I mean, you know, they try to hit you with a non disclosure agreement and all that stuff, and it's just like get out of here. You know, <laughs> like okay, yeah, yeah good for gonna- you. We're going to be, you know, signing this and then what you're going to get to lie to everybody. So I think that, you know, when uh, the truth comes out, that's when it's like those don't even count anymore. You know, like, I'm sorry, but and and how everything was handed to the parents, you know, the packages that were given given out um, with all the information, CDs, um, however that happened. I didn't even know about any of this stuff. I mean, you know, they didn't invite us to the congressional hearing. they didn't do anything in regards to, you know, involving people that were actually there that night. I mean, the investigative report, it took like a month, a month and a half before it was all wrapped up nice in a bow, the cult report. I mean, that is sickening in and of itself. And so, I mean, I didn't have access to that. 
none of it until I think it was 2014 when I met the Vons. And honestly, when I went through all of those files, I was able to help, you know, Billy and Karen um, understand a lot of what they were reading. And um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't take it back for anything. I stand by what I did and, you know, I blew the whistle and I do it again because I don't think that what we did that being our nation, that being the government, how they handled this, it's disgraceful. Yeah, it really is, especially when some of these men have literally, uh, I don't know what the word I want to use, outpaced all the people to be Navy SEALs. I mean, you just you just don't get to be an enlisted guy and just pop in there. There's a lot of endurance there. You know, we talk about uh, here on the Sons of Liberty, we talk about the Constitution and the Bible are a foundation of our country. And uh, in that, you know, we've got guys who are committed. They're, they're saying they're committed to upholding the rule of law, except for the fact that the politicians oftentimes aren't wanting to uphold the rule of law. They're wanting to to, to throw it under the rug. They're wanting to take, you know, our boys and our girls, uh, you and, and these guys who gave their lives. They're wanting to take and use them for the cannon fodder uh, instead of going and leading. You know, George Washington, the father of our country. If there was a war to be fought and he thought it had value, what did he do? He didn't go send somebody else. He went and led it himself. And I think we would stop a lot of the wars that we're engaged in, that many of them are unconstitutional, if we would just send the politicians first. Start sending their kids. Seriously. Because, and I'd like for you to speak to this, and then we'll, we'll ask some other things. You're a veteran. I've worked with a lot of veterans. I used to be on a construction site 18 years and, and worked with a lot of veterans. Many of them were Vietnam. Some of them were Iraq. And... Everyone I talk to, you know, it's kind of hard. You have to get to know the guys before they'll even open up to you about that. They don't even really like talking about it. But one of the things that was recurring, it didn't matter if they were black or white, if they were a Christian or non-Christian or whoever they were, they said, if you really want to support the troops, you bring them home and you don't use them for that stuff. You use them to defend this nation here. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm kind of curious, out of all your experience there, would you agree with that assessment that, that the politics politicians need to be put in check by the constitution and if we really care about our troops we're going to be those who want to protect them not only from any physical harm they have but as you've experienced yourself the the ptsd this this trauma that that goes through the mind that constantly becomes something that haunts you i mean that's why we have unmanned aerial vehicles you know take take the threat out without putting boots on the ground i mean what are we doing you know <laughs> At the end of the day, it's just like, okay, well, we can we can keep infilling, you know, the countries with our men and women, but why? What's the purpose? Is it to show show a force? At, at the end of the day, does that make any sense? I mean, it's collateral damage and people just, you know, like politicians can just say that and then be done with it and go have, you know, Christmas with their family. They're not phased. Regardless, I mean, you hear Biden say, oh, the the empty chair at your table, you know, when he's talking about people passing from, you know, COVID. It's like, well, what about the empty chair at your table with, you know, the men and women that Amen. have died Amen. fighting for the country? <laughs> Amen. You know, not to minimize or, or compare, but it's like, what about all these empty seats? Like, <laughs> why does it always have to be the COVID victims? How about it's everybody, you know, in, in general? Well, I agree with you, and I, I just want to hear that. I want to ha I want to have somebody else who has been in the military who, who can say that because I, I've told people in the show, you know, the experiences that I've had with, with our military men when I ask them because, uh, I you know, I think it's I think it's a, a special thing, a, a special brotherhood that exists there in the military, unlike 
other places. And uh, for those guys to come and say, you know what, the stuff I've been through, and they don't even like talking about a lot of the things. I'm sure it, maybe even some questions I asked, I'm not trying to uh, you know, stir up any emotions. I know those come naturally, but I, I think your story has to be heard. I think there's other people that we're uh, looking to bring on as well to kind of keep this story out there because, Joni, the one thing that we're missing here in the United States of America is justice. We can... Our politicians pointed at each other to get political points, and they grill, and they blast, and they rip the other guy, but they never bring any justice. And that's mm -hmm. the problem that we have. And now we've got, you know, all these SEALs, uh, I think some Rangers and a couple of National Guard guys that are that are just, they're gone. Their their wives don't have husbands. Their children don't have fathers anymore. You know, there's, there's the brothers are missing them. Their parents are missing them. And they're gone, and the politicians come in and they give us this sob story about how they feel about things, and then they go on continuing to do the same blunders and uh, and do the stupid things that's, that's costing their lives. And so I think this is very important as to why they're telling you, hey, keep your mouth shut on this. Don't talk about this. Have there been other people, and we have in the film, again, uh, Nick Moore, uh, who spoke out, leading the Rangers and stuff, and we had some people back here in the States who spoke, uh, Crystal Wall, and there was another guy, Nico, um, who was a uh, forensic guy on the, the ammunition and stuff, who spoke. Have there been any other people that were might have been aboard your ship uh, who's spoken out or anything like that that you know of? No, um, it's just because people are concerned about, you know, their livelihood, their jobs. I mean, I don't blame any of them, honestly. Um, I don't have, you know, an immediate family in the sense of husband or kids, so with that, my uh, ability to lose things are, you know, limited. So um, if I'm just concerned about my job, then obviously there's that. But at the end of the day, I would rather um, have death before dishonor. So um, that's where I'm at. Amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you this. We're coming up on the end of the show here. What have you what have you done with your life since that time you, you left? And uh, from what I was reading, you were tr you were helping couples uh, with some things. But what is what is the thing that, that you're most passionate about that you're doing right now? I mean, I love helping combat veterans in any way, shape, or form. Um, the nonprofits that I'm involved in, I'm very grateful for. The boot campaign is extremely um, helpful when it comes to getting veterans what they need, whether the healthcare or just getting their um, health, you know, like full body scan done. Um, the workups, the checkups, the v what the VA doesn't really truly offer you when you get out. Um, and then also the uh, Pipe Hitter Foundation is an excellent nonprofit. We want to make sure that men and women aren't being taken advantage of. And um, I think that, you know, looking into what's happening with this vaccination conversation, um, I just wanted to really quick mention that, you know, our men and women are going to be forced out of um, the military because they chose to not get vaccinated. And for that, they're going to probably suffer a general discharge. You know, Article 92 is what they're going to get hit with, dishonorable, you know. Uh, almost dishonorable. So I think that, um, or disobeying lawful order, I'm sorry. So in regards to where people are going to be after all this, I mean, it's obviously creating a huge uh, division in the country um, over something that people should have a say over. I mean, I didn't fight for people to, you know, be succumb to the government Come on. being what to, told to do or put into their bodies. Amen. You know, preach it, sister. I look. I I just I just posted. <laughs> okay, so she was talking about the uh, the convicts. We're, we're that was the end of the interview there. But I I thought Joni's testimony there or her 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 story 
is that which people need to hear because Joni was there. She was. She doesn't just look at the papers and say, try to piece things together. Now, she's she obviously did some of that, but she was there. She saw what happened. Just a couple of points. Moments before Extortion 17 took off, there were seven Afghanis. There were eight Afghanis, I think, total. One was an interpreter. There were seven Afghanis that were listed on the manifest. Moments before it took off, they swapped the Afghanis out and didn't put the names on there. So there were new Afghanis that were in. This is why there's a question of whether there's a green on blue attack that happened. If you don't know what that is, again, that's where the Afghans were being uh, trained by the quote-unquote allies, and then they would turn on the allies and they would kill them. They would have guys that would do that. That was in play. Then, the Extortion 17, if I recall correctly, I want to say they hung in the air in a stationary position right in front of where they were shot down for like three minutes with no radio contact which you just don't do on a mission like this. And this is happening at like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning local time for them. That was there. When I mentioned the guy Nico, he was the guy doing the forensics on the ammunition that was pulled from the bodies and, and, and things of this nature. And they got rid of the bullets. It's kind of like Robert Mueller taking all the stuff from the building, the WTC of 9-11, and getting rid of it, not... I mean, this is probably the biggest crime scene in American history, and he ships all the evidence off to China. No justice. No justice for any of these people involved in all of this. The, the cover-up of the black box, the, the lies that are being told out of the Defense Department, the, the treasonous... Uh, loose tongues of people like Joe Biden and Leon Panetta. The restraints put in place by Barack Hussein Obama, Sator Sabarka. No justice. No justice. And we wonder why things keep going bad. Listen, if your kid... Let me just take it to a, a, a level where everybody can understand. If your kid is acting up somewhere. Now, if you grew up down south, I can tell you if you were acting up, you got a spanking. It wasn't to it wasn't to like maim you or anything. It was to get your attention. It was to put a little sting in there to say you need to quit doing what you're doing. And why? Because mom and dad love you because they don't want you to grow up and act a fool like that and then you get some cop out there who's going to shoot you for acting a fool. Or somebody punch you in the face later on. Or you end up in jail for acting. Whatever the case may be. Everybody understands that. That's love. It corrects. But here we have men, grown men, committing crimes. Treason, in fact, that's what I would say it is. Against the people that they're supposed to serve. And they walk through the raindrops without any justice being brought to them. If you wonder how much worse it's going to get, it's going to keep getting worse until justice is brought. Plain and simple. The Bible talks about the very character of God is that of justice. That he is a righteous and a holy God. He cannot look upon sin. That's lawlessness. 
1 John 3, 4, sin is transgression of the law. The law of God is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about all man's pretended laws. I'm talking about the law of God. You don't tell me that treason and betrayal is not found in there. That is not a love for your fellow man. And what did Jesus say about the law? He says, loving God and loving man, your neighbor, on these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. If you love God and you love man. These men have not loved God and they have not loved man and they need to be brought to justice. The question that I think most of us have is, well, how are we going to do that, Tim? Well, I can tell you, the start starts where I talked about yesterday. Men are going to have to start forming the Constitution Militia, not the federalized militia called the National Guard and the Reserves. That's not what the militia is. Go back and read some of even what the framers argued. That's not what that is. This is the voluntary service of men and women. You don't enlist for this in the way that you do in the Guard or the Reserve. That's going to be number one. Number two is, and I know, I know it sounds fantastical, you're going to have to bring an end to D.C. No matter how sentimental you are about that city, which I think has been just paganized as much as the Roman Empire was, you've got so many gods up there illustrated in their water fountains and on their buildings and stuff like that. Yeah, they got some Christian stuff too. I'm not denying that. But it's all a mixture of what it's become. As the scripture says, become the home of devils. It needs to go. We really don't have any need for Washington, D.C. at all. Oh, Tim, you're treasonous. You're, you're, you're speaking treason. No, I'm not. I'm speaking to the Declaration of Independence. What Thomas Jefferson himself says, when it becomes a threat to the security of the people, it is the right of the people. You hear that? That's me and you. It's the right of the people to either alter or abolish that form of government and set in place one that they want to set. And frankly, any of this centralization is always bad. It always is. Look at every centralized government that's ever been in the history of the earth, and that's what you'll see. Wicked men rise to the top, in most cases. Occasionally you get some some decent, God-fearing men. You can find them in history. But more than likely, it's the wicked men that rise up. And the people are going to have to bring justice. We're going to have to do it. We're going to have to find the way to do it. And I again, I think it starts at the local level, building up the men of the community. Go back and read your scripture. You'll see in the Old Testament, it was the men being built up. I gave you the illustration of Abram having the 318 trained men in his household. They were able to go wage war against kings. How you like them apples? You find the militia set up in 1 Samuel to do the Lord's bidding. You find Gideon with just 300 men. They got some torches and some pots and their voices. You can find where godly men did what needed to be done. Judges 19 and 20. Godly men doing what needed to be done. They didn't have to have a title. They didn't have to have a badge. They didn't have any of that stuff. And we've got to bring that back. That is what I believe the church is supposed to be. Not That's one aspect. Let me put it that way. That's one aspect of it. The other is in discipleship, which would include that. We're teaching them the things of God. We're making it practical. 
because the Bible is practical. It's not just so we can have head knowledge about something. It is practical so that we can go do the will of the Lord. And I pray God would raise up men, and women, by the way, to, to be involved in all this, but basically men. We're the ones called to do that. It all falls on us. And if we don't do it, ain't nobody else going to do it. May God grant us repentance and may he grant us the faith to see past the here and now to what's ahead and do what he's commanded us to do. Bradley, be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com, and then we'll be back with you in the morning, Lord willing, with Kate Shimerani. See you then.